Section fifteen of Modeste Mignon by Henri de Balzac, translated by Catherine Prescott Wormley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section fifteen of Modeste Mignon by Henri de Balzac. Read by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Fifteen, A Father Steps In. The Comte de la Bastille was at this moment overwhelmed with the sorrows which lay in wait for him as their prey. He had learned from his daughter's letter of Bettina's death and of his wife's infirmity, and Dumai related to him when they met his terrible perplexity as to Modeste's love affairs. Leave me to myself, he said to his faithful friend. As the lieutenant closed the door, the unhappy father threw himself on a sofa with his head in his hands, weeping those slow, scanty tears which suffuse the eyes of a man of sixty, but do not fall. Tears soon dried, yet quick to start again, the last dews of the human autumn. To have children, to have a wife, to adore them, what is it but to have many hearts and bear them to a dagger he cried springing up with the bound of a tiger and walking up and down the room to be a father is to give oneself over bound hand and foot to sorrow if i meet that destourney i will kill him to have daughters one gives her life to a scoundrel the other my modeste falls a victim to whom a coward who deceives her with the gilded paper of a poet if it were Canalis himself it might not be so bad, but that scapine of a lover! I will strangle him with my two hands, he cried, making an involuntary gesture of furious determination. And what then? Suppose my Modeste were to die of grief! He gazed mechanically out of the window of the Hotel de Princesse, and then returned to the sofa where he sat motionless. The fatigues of six voyages to India, the anxieties of speculation, the dangers he had encountered and evaded and his many griefs had silvered charles mignon's head his handsome soldierly face so pure in outline and now bronzed by the suns of china and the southern seas had acquired an air of dignity which his present grief rendered almost sublime mongenaud told me he felt confidence in the young man who is coming to ask me for my daughter he thought at last and at this moment Ernest de la Briere was announced by one of the servants whom Monsieur de la Bastille had attached to himself during the last four years. "'You have come, Monsieur, from my friend Mongenaud?' he asked. "'Yes,' replied Ernest, growing timid when he saw before him a face as sombre as Othello's. "'My name is Ernest de la Briere, related to the family of the late cabinet minister and his private secretary during his term of office.' On his dismissal His Excellency put me in the Court of Claims, to which I am legal counsel, and where I may possibly succeed as chief. And how does all this concern Mademoiselle de la Bastille? asked the Count. Monsieur, I love her, and I have the unhoped-for happiness of being loved by her. Hear me, Monsieur, cried Ernest, checking a violent movement on the part of the angry father. I have the strangest confession to make to you, a shameful one for a man of honour, but the worst punishment of my conduct, natural enough in itself, is not the telling of it to you. No, I fear the daughter even more than the father. Ernest then related simply, and with the nobleness that comes of sincerity, all the facts of his little drama, 
not omitting the twenty or more letters which he had brought with him, nor the interview which he had just had with Canalis. When Monsieur Mignon had finished reading the letters, the unfortunate lover, pale and suppliant, actually trembled under the fiery glance of the Provençal. "'Monsieur,' said the latter, "'in this whole matter there is but one error, but that is cardinal. My daughter will not have six millions. At the utmost she will have a marriage portion of two hundred thousand francs, and very doubtful expectations.' "'Ah, monsieur,' cried Ernest, rising and grasping Monsieur Mignon's hand, "'you take a load from my breast. Nothing can now hinder my happiness. I have friends, influence. I shall certainly be chief of the court of claims. Had Mademoiselle Mignon no more than ten thousand francs, if I had even to make a settlement on her, she should still be my wife, and to make her happy as you, monsieur, have made your wife happy.' to be to you a real son for i have no father are the deepest desires of my heart charles mignon stepped back three paces and fixed upon la briere a look which entered the eyes of the young man as a dagger enters its sheath he stood silent a moment recognizing the absolute candour the pure truthfulness of that open nature in the light of the young man's inspired eyes is fate at last weary of pursuing me he asked himself am i to find in this young man the pearl of sons-in-law he walked up and down the room in strong agitation monsieur he said at last you are bound to submit wholly to the judgment which you have come here to seek otherwise you are now playing a farce oh monsieur listen to me said the father nailing la briere where he stood with a glance i shall be neither harsh nor hard nor unjust you shall have the advantages and the disadvantages of the false position in which you have placed yourself my daughter believes that she loves one of the great poets of the day whose fame is really that which has attracted her well i her father intend to give her the opportunity to choose between the celebrity which has been a beacon to her and the poor reality which the irony of fate has flung at her feet ought she not to choose between canalis and yourself i rely upon your honour not to repeat what i have told you as to the state of my affairs you may each come i mean you and your friend the baron de canalis to havre for the last two weeks of october my house will be open to both of you and my daughter must have an opportunity to study you you must yourself bring your rival and not disabuse him as to the foolish tales he will hear about the wealth of the comte de la bastille I go to Havre to-morrow, and I shall expect you three days later. Adieu, monsieur. Poor Labriere went back to Canalis with a dragging step. The poet, meantime, left to himself, had given way to a current of thought out of which had come that secondary impulse which monsieur de la Talleyrand valued so much. The first impulse is the voice of nature, the second that of society a girl worth six millions he thought to himself and my eyes were not able to see that gold shining in the darkness with such a fortune i could be peer of france count marquis ambassador i've replied to middle-class women and silly women and crafty creatures who wanted autographs i've tired myself to death with masked ball intrigues at the very moment when god was sending me a soul of price an angel with golden wings bah i'll make a poem on it and perhaps the chance will come again heavens the luck of that little labriere strutting about in my lustre plagiarism i'm the cast and he's to be the statue is he it is the old fable of bertrand and raton 
six millions a beauty a mignon de la bastille an aristocratic divinity loving poetry and the poet and i who showed my muscle as a man of the world who did those alcide exercises to silence by moral force the champion of physical force that old soldier with a heart that friend of this very young girl whom he'll now go and tell that i have a heart of iron i to play napoleon when i ought to have been seraphic good heavens true i shall have my friend friendship is a beautiful thing i have kept him but at what a price six millions that's the cost of it we can't have many friends if we pay all that for them Aubriere entered the room as Canalis reached this point in his meditations he was gloom personified well what's the matter said Canalis. the father exacts that his daughter shall choose between the two Canalis. poor boy cried the poet laughing he's a clever fellow that father i have pledged my honour that i will take you to havre said Labriere piteously my dear fellow said Canalis, if it is a question of your honour you may count on me i'll ask for leave of absence for a month modeste is so beautiful exclaimed Labriere in a despairing tone you will crush me out of sight i wondered all along that fate should be so kind to me i knew it was all a mistake bah we will see about that said Canalis with inhuman gaiety that evening after dinner charles mignon and dumais were flying by virtue of three francs to each postillion from paris to havre the father had eased the watchdog's mind as to modeste and her love affairs the guard was relieved and butchka's innocence established it is all for the best my old dumais said the count who had been making certain inquiries of mongenaud respecting canalis and labriere we are going to have two actors for one part he cried gaily nevertheless he requested his old comrade to be absolutely silent about the comedy which was now to be played at the chalet a comedy it might be but also a gentle punishment or if you prefer it a lesson given by the father to the daughter the two friends kept up a long conversation all the way from paris to havre which put the colonel in possession of the facts relating to his family during the past four years and informing dumais that Desplain, the great surgeon, was coming to Havre at the end of the present month to examine the cataract on Madame Mignon's eyes, and decide if it were possible to restore her sight. A few moments before the breakfast hour at the chalet, the clacking of a postillion's whip apprised the family that the two soldiers were arriving. Only a father's joy at returning after long absence could be heralded with such clatter, and it brought all the women to the garden gate there is many a father and many a child perhaps more fathers than children who will understand the delights of such an arrival and the happy fact shows that literature has no need to depict it perhaps all gentle and tender emotions are beyond the range of literature not a word that could trouble the peace of the family was uttered on this joyful day truce was tacitly established between father mother and child as to the so-called mysterious love which had paled modeste's cheeks for this was the first day she had left her bed since Dumais' departure for Paris. The colonel, with the charming delicacy of a true soldier, never left his wife's side nor released her hand, but he watched Modeste with delight, and was never weary of noting her refined, elegant, and poetic beauty. Is it not by such seeming trifles that we recognize a man of feeling? Modeste, who feared to interrupt the subdued joy of the husband and the wife, 
kept at a little distance coming from time to time to kiss her father's forehead and when she kissed it overmuch she seemed to mean that she was kissing it for two for bettina and herself oh my darling i understand you said the colonel pressing her hand as she assailed him with kisses hush whispered the young girl glancing at her mother dumais rather sly and pregnant silence made modeste somewhat uneasy as to the upshot of his journey to paris she looked at him furtively every now and then without being able to get beneath his epidermis the colonel like a prudent father wanted to study the character of his only daughter and above all consult his wife before entering on a conference upon which the happiness of the whole family depended to-morrow my precious child he said as they parted for the night get up early and we will go and take a walk on the seashore we have to talk about your poems mademoiselle de la bastille his last words accompanied by a smile which reappeared like an echo on demise lips were all that gave modeste any clue to what was coming but it was enough to calm her uneasiness and keep her awake far into the night with her head full of suppositions this however did not prevent her from being dressed and ready in the morning long before the colonel you know all my kind papa she said as soon as they were on the road to the beach i know all and a good deal more than you do he replied after that remark father and daughter went some little way in silence explain to me my child how it happens that a girl whom her mother idolizes could have taken such an important step as to write to a stranger without consulting her oh papa because mamma would never have allowed it and do you think my daughter that it was proper though you have been educating your mind in this fatal way how is it your good sense and your intellect did not in default of modesty step in and show you that by acting as you did you were throwing yourself at a man's head to think that my daughter my only remaining child should lack pride and delicacy oh modeste you made your father pass two hours in hell when he heard of it for after all your conduct has been the same as bettina's without the excuse of a heart's seduction you were a coquette in cold blood and that sort of coquetry is head-love the worst vice of french women i without pride said modeste weeping but he has not yet seen me he knows your name i did not tell it to him till my eyes had vindicated the correspondence lasting three months during which our souls had spoken to each other oh my dear misguided angel you have mixed up a species of reason with a folly that has compromised your own happiness and that of your family but after all papa happiness is the absolution of my temerity she said pouting oh your conduct is temerity is it a temerity that my mother practised before me she retorted quickly rebellious child your mother after seeing me at a ball told her father who adored her that she thought she could be happy with me be honest modeste is there any likeness between a love hastily conceived i admit under the eyes of a father and your mad action of writing to a stranger a stranger papa say rather one of our greatest poets whose character and whose life are exposed to the strongest light of day to detraction to calumny a man robed in fame and to whom my dear father i was a mere literary and dramatic personage one of shakespeare's women until the moment when i wished to know if the man himself were as beautiful as his soul good god my poor child you are turning marriage into poetry 
but if from time immemorial girls have been cloistered in the bosom of their families if god if social laws put them under the stern yoke of parental sanction it is mark my words to spare them the misfortunes that this very poetry which charms and dazzles you and which you are therefore unable to judge of would entail upon them poetry is indeed one of the pleasures of life but it is not life itself papa that is a suit still pending before the court of facts the struggle is forever going on between our hearts and the claims of family alas for the child that finds her happiness in resisting them said the colonel gravely in eighteen thirteen i saw one of my comrades the marquis de anglemont marry his cousin against the wishes of her father and the pair have since paid dear for the obstinacy which the young girl took for love the family must be sovereign in marriage my poet has told me all that she answered he played organ for some time and he was brave enough to disparage the personal lives of poets i have read your letters said charles mignon with the flicker of a malicious smile on his lips that made modeste very uneasy and i ought to remark that your last epistle was scarcely permissible in any woman even a julie de tangers good god what harm novels do we should live them my dear father whether people wrote them or not i think it is better to read them there are not so many adventures in these days as there were under louis the fourteenth and louis the fifteenth and so they publish fewer novels besides if you have read those letters you must know that i have chosen the most angelic soul the most sternly upright man for your son-in-law and you must have seen that we love one another at least as much as you and mamma love each other well i admit that it was not all exactly conventional i did if you will have me say so wrong i have read your letters said the father interrupting her and i know exactly how far your lover justified you in your own eyes for a proceeding which might be permissible in some woman who understood life and who was led away by strong passion but which in a young girl of twenty was a monstrous piece of wrong-doing yes wrong-doing for commonplace people for the narrow-minded gobenheims who measure life with a square rule please let us keep to the artistic and poetic life papa we young girls have only two ways to act we must let a man know we love him by mincing and simpering or we must go to him frankly isn't the last way grand and noble we french girls are delivered over by our families like so much merchandise at sixty days sight sometimes thirty like mademoiselle vilkin but in england and switzerland and germany they follow very much the plan i have adopted now what have you got to say to that am i not half german child cried the colonel looking at her the supremacy of france comes from her sound common sense from the logic to which her noble language constrains her mind france is the reason of the whole world england and germany are romantic in their marriage customs though even there noble families follow our customs you certainly do not mean to deny that your parents who know life who are responsible for your soul and for your happiness have no right to guard you from the stumbling blocks that are in your way good heavens he continued speaking half to himself is it their fault or is it ours ought we to hold our children under an iron yoke must we be punished for the tenderness that leads us to make them happy and teaches our hearts how to do so modeste watched her father out of the corner of her eye as she listened to this species of invocation uttered in a broken voice 
was it wrong she said in a girl whose heart was free to choose for her husband not only a charming companion but a man of noble genius born to an honourable position a gentleman the equal of myself a gentlewoman you love him asked her father father she said laying her head upon his breast would you see me die enough said the old soldier i see your love is inextinguishable yes inextinguishable can nothing change it nothing no circumstances no treachery no betrayal you mean that you will love him in spite of everything because of his personal attractions even though he proved a destarnay would you still love him oh my father you do not know your daughter could i love a coward a man without honour without faith but suppose he had deceived you he that honest candid soul half melancholy you are joking father or else you have never met him but you see now that your love is not inextinguishable as you chose to call it i have already made you admit that circumstances could alter your poem don't you now see that fathers are good for something you want to give me a lecture papa is it positively l'ami des enfants over again poor deceived girl said her father sternly it is no lecture of mine i count for nothing in it indeed i am only trying to soften the blow father don't play tricks with my life exclaimed modeste turning pale then my daughter summon all your courage it is you who have been playing tricks with your life and life is now tricking you modeste looked at her father in stupid amazement suppose that young man whom you love whom you saw four days ago at church in havre was a deceiver never she cried that noble head that pale face full of poetry was a lie said the colonel interrupting her he was no more monsieur de canalis than i am that sailor over there putting out to sea do you know what you are killing in me she said in a low voice comfort yourself my child though accident has put the punishment of your fault into the fault itself the harm done is not irreparable the young man whom you have seen and with whom you exchanged hearts by correspondence is a loyal and honourable fellow he came to me and confided everything he loves you and i have no objection to him as a son-in-law if he is not canalis who is he then said modeste in a changed voice the secretary his name is ernest de la Briere. he is not a nobleman but he is one of those plain men with fixed principles and sound morality who satisfy parents however that is not the point you have seen him and nothing can change your heart you have chosen him comprehend his soul it is as beautiful as he himself the count was interrupted by a heavy sigh from modeste the poor girl sat with her eyes fixed on the sea pale and rigid as death as if a pistol-shot had struck her in those fatal words a plain man with fixed principles and sound morality deceived she said at last like your poor sister but less fatally let us go home father she said rising from the hillock on which they were sitting papa hear me i swear before god to obey your wishes whatever they may be in the affair of my marriage then you don't love him any longer asked her father i loved an honest man with no falsehood on his face upright as yourself incapable of disguising himself like an actor with the paint of another man's glory on his cheeks you said nothing could change you remarked the colonel ironically ah do not trifle with me she exclaimed clasping her hands and looking at her father in distressful anxiety don't you see that you are wringing my heart and destroying my beliefs with your jokes 
"'God forbid! I have told you the exact truth. "'You are very kind, father,' she said after a pause, and with a sort of solemnity. "'He has kept your letters,' resumed the colonel. "'Now suppose the rash caresses of your soul have fallen into the hands of one of those poets, "'who, as Dumais says, light their cigars with them. "'Oh, you are going too far. Canalis told him so.' "'Has Dumais seen Canalis?' "'Yes,' answered her father. The two walked along in silence. "'So that is why that gentleman,' resumed Modeste, "'told me so much harm of poets and poetry. "'No wonder the little secretary said, "'Why,' she added, interrupting herself, "'his virtues, his noble qualities, his fine sentiments "'are nothing but an epistolary theft. "'The man who steals glory in a name may very likely break locks steal purses and cut people's throats on the highway cried the colonel ah you young girls that's just like you with your peremptory opinions and your ignorance of life a man who once deceives a woman was born under the scaffold on which he ought to die this ridicule stopped modeste's effervescence for a moment and at least and again there was silence my child said the colonel presently men in society as in nature everywhere are made to win the hearts of women and women must defend themselves you have chosen to invert the parts was that wise everything is false in a false position the first wrong-doing was yours no a man is not a monster because he seeks to please a woman it is our right to win her by aggression with all its consequences short of crime and cowardice a man may have many virtues even if he does deceive a woman if he deceives her, it is because he finds her wanting in some of the treasures that he sought in her. None but a queen, an actress, or a woman placed so far above a man that she seems to him a queen, can go to him of herself without incurring blame, and for a young girl to do it. Why, she is false to all that God has given her that is sacred and lovely and noble, no matter with what grace or what poetry or what precautions she surrounds her fault." to seek the master and find the servant she said bitterly oh i can never recover from it nonsense monsieur ernest de la Briere is to my thinking fully the equal of the baron de canalis he is private secretary of a cabinet minister and he is now counsel for the court of claims he has a heart and he adores you but he does not write verses no i admit he is not a poet but for all that he may have a heart full of poetry at any rate my dear girl added her father as modeste made a gesture of disgust you are to see both of them the sham and the true canalise oh papa did you not swear just now to obey me in everything even in the affair of your marriage well i allow you to choose which of the two you like best for a husband you have begun by a poem you shall finish with a bucolic and try if you can discover the real character of these gentlemen here in the country on a few hunting or fishing excursions modeste bowed her head and walked home with her father listening to what he said but replying only in monosyllables end of section fifteen read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com